0: Good evening and welcome to E-Bible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight will be study number 26 of Revelation chapter 1. And we're presently reading in verse 7, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. And as we've been Looking at this verse for some time, we've been led back to the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament. Um, Zechariah, the, the next to the last book of the Old Testament in chapter 12. And I want to read these verses, beginning in verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hatterimen in the valley of Megiddon. And in this study, we're going to try and take a closer look at these verses to see uh, more how it fits into our verse in Revelation 1, verse 7, and also with the verse in Matthew 24, verse 30 that is very similar. And let's begin with verse 9 of Zechariah 12. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And the question is for us to try and understand is what is in that day referring to or when will this period of time come to pass? Is God speaking of the cross? Is he referring to judgment day itself? What is in that day referring to? Well, let's continue reading there in verse nine in that day. I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. That type of language should be very familiar to us by now. Those of us that have been learning about the end of the church age for quite a number of years. Because it is the language that we find, for instance, in Zechariah 14. Beginning in verse 1. Behold the day of Jehovah cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall Jehovah go forth and fight, against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. This is really unusual. If we didn't understand what God had done, it would be a little perplexing. First, God says he will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And then he concludes this little passage by saying that then shall Jehovah go forth and fight against those nations. Now, why would God do that? Why would he raise up nations to come against Jerusalem and then fight against those very same nations? And and again, if we didn't understand what God had done uh, at the time of the Great Tribulation, this wouldn't make any sense to us. But he did this historically When he raised up the Babylonians to come against his people, Judah, and which would include Jerusalem. And the Babylonians accomplished God's purpose. God even called Nebuchadnezzar my servant as Nebuchadnezzar and his nation of Babylon destroyed Judah and destroyed Jerusalem and took many of the Jewish people into captivity and slew many others. This was all in accordance with the will of God. It was God's purpose to raise Babylon against his own people due to their unfaithfulness, to their constant idolatry and tendency to stray from the commandments of God. And yet what happened following God giving up his people? Well, after a 70-year period, God came against those nations, Babylon, via the Medes and the Persians. The Lord raised up another uh, mighty army in the secular realm, the Medes and the Persians, with King Cyrus, who came against Babylon and took it in one night. King Cyrus was a type of Christ typifying the Lord Jesus Christ's victory over Satan and his kingdom at the end of the Great Tribulation and the beginning of Judgment Day. So it is God's plan. It has been to raise up an enemy to come against his people to punish them. And this prefigured the Great Tribulation when the Lord loosed Satan... And Satan came with his emissaries to assault the New Testament churches and congregations of the world. Remember what it says in Revelation chapter 20 in verses 7 and the next couple of verses after. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Who loosed him? God loosed him. For what reason? To accomplish God's purpose in judging his own people that inhabited the churches of the world. And why? For the identical reason that he judged Israel of old and Judah of old, due to their unfaithfulness. Now, the Lord would use Satan as an instrument of judgment. And in that sense, Satan would perform God's bidding. He would accomplishing God's purpose and so the Lord looses him and judgment begins at the house of God it goes on to say in Revelation 20 verse 8 after Satan is loose and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea and they went up on the breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. God loose Satan. Satan gathers the nations against Jerusalem. Satan is very good at destroying, and he wreaks havoc in the church world. The church becomes a mockery. There is no truth anymore in the land. The truth of the gospel is trodden underfoot, in church after church, and this all is in performance of the doing of the will of God, as as God loose Satan to bring this destruction in the churches of the world. But following that, does God give Satan the ad boy and and say, Well, you've done a a job well, well done, and and now some kind of blessing? No. No, Satan was just doing evil and wickedness. And that's why he was able to do it. Because it was in his line of work. And God just used his sinful nature and tendencies and his destructive being to perform the will of God. And following that, God turns around and judges him and those nations, or or Satan's emissaries. And this is how God has dealt with those that he used to destroy the New Testament church during the period of Great Tribulation. We just witnessed that 23 years from 1988, May 21, 1988, until May 21 of 2011 and and so zechariah 12:9 says and it shall come to pass in that day that i will seek to destroy all the nations that come against jerusalem and this would have to be at the end of the great tribulation god doesn't destroy them during the great tribulation because they're doing his bidding at that time he he waits he bides his time And finally, at the end of the period, the 23 year great tribulation, then God destroys them. And we learn much about that with a spiritual judgment. Satan was put down. He was dethroned. His rules, the man of sin, or as the beast in the congregations came to an end, he still exists. He still ...going about in the world, the, the Bible doesn't say that he's dead in that sense, but as far as authority to rule in the churches, that was given by God for a limited period of time, the duration of the Great Tribulation, and following that, well, then Babylon is conquered. God raised up the Babylonians, he raised up Nebuchadnezzar, or the king of Babylon, And they destroy Jerusalem, they destroy Judah. But finally, at the end of 70 years, Babylon itself is destroyed. And the King Cyrus is typifying the Lord Jesus and the Medes and the Persians, the kingdom of God, as they are triumphant and conquer over Satan and his emissaries. Gog and Magog are destroyed in the day of judgment, which occurred on May 21 of 2011. So that makes this passage uh, a little bit more interesting, as it goes on to say in verse 10 of Zechariah 12, as verse 9 now has set the context for the day when the Lord destroys those nations that he himself brought against Jerusalem. And then in verse 10, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications. And we saw how this is identifying the ones that are being spoken of as God's elect. David is a name of Christ, and we are of the house of David. We are the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Jerusalem above and God has poured upon his elect people the spirit of grace and of supplications. He gives us the desire to pray to him and supplicate before him. And goes on to say in the middle of verse 10, And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And we discuss this, how this is referring to the elect who pierced Christ in the sense that he died for us it was as a result of his bearing our sins and therefore we caused his death we brought about his punishment we are the ones in a sense that thrust the spear into him we are the ones that brought about the wrath of God upon him and they shall look upon me the ones who uh, have the spirit of grace, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Now we have two um, words here that identify with the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is only son. The, the word only, son is in italics, and this word identifies with Christ. It is Strong's number 3173. It, it's used a few times, once in Psalm 22, a Messianic Psalm, uh, one time in Genesis 22, and I'll read this verse, because this will show how it, it really does identify with Christ pretty quickly. In Genesis 22, verse 2. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And this is God's command to Abraham to take his only son Isaac. And Isaac here is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Abraham the father who lifts up his hand to slay his only son is a beautiful picture of God the Father who uh, does slay his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reference to firstborn also in Zechariah 12.10 points to Christ as he is the firstborn from the dead. But let's look at a, a couple of verses where this word only is found. It will help us in understanding what's going on in in our verse in Zechariah. In Proverbs chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, For I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. And again, who is the one that gives us good doctrine? But Christ himself. He is the word made flesh we are to abide in the doctrine of of Christ and he is his father's son tender and only beloved and and so again that same hebrew word and it's also found in jeremiah chapter 6 now here the context of verse 22 speaks of the babylonians it says in jeremiah 6:22 thus saith jehovah Behold, a people cometh from the north country, and a great nation shall be raised from the sides of the earth. They shall lay hold on bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roareth like the sea, and they ride upon horses set in array as men for war against thee, O daughter of Zion. We have heard the fame thereof. Our hands wax feeble. Anguish hath taken hold of us and pain as of a woman in travail. Go not forth into the field, nor walk by the way, for the sword of the enemy in fear is on every side. O daughter of my people, gird thee with sackcloth, and wallow thyself in ashes. Make thee mourning, as for an only son, most bitter lamentation, for the spoiler shall suddenly come upon us. Now these verses are describing the assault of Babylon against God's people, Judah, and that in turn is picturing the assault of Satan against the churches and congregations of our modern day. And this, uh, has ended. The Great Tribulation is over. It concluded, uh, May 21 of 2011 after a full 23 years and a exact 8,400 days. And yet God is using this language of making mourning, that's as in sorrow, as for an only son, most bitter lamentation. And so that's the language of Zechariah 12, verse 10. That uh, again, they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. Well, this shows us that this mourning and bitter lamentation does not necessarily have to identify exclusively with the cross. But it's also identifying with the judgment of Judah of old, and as a result, spiritually, with the judgment of the church. As God began the judgment process at the house of God, a judgment begins at the house of God, 1 Peter 4.17 tells us. And, this make thee mourning as for an only son and most bitter lamentation could be a reference to the fact that the Lord Jesus has departed from the church, just as God departed from Israel and turned against them and began to punish them for their transgressions. But let's look at another place. We, we want to look at everything. In Amos chapter 8, in Amos 8, we're... Going to find, again, similar language in verses 9 and 10. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord Jehovah, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day, and I will turn your feast into mourning, and all your songs into lamentation, and I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins, and baldness upon every head. And I will make it as the morning of an only sun, and the end thereof as a bitter day. Well, we can look at these two verses a couple of different ways. One is to look at it historically, where it says, I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. Because it was at the sixth hour, we read in Luke chapter 23, that Jesus was on the cross, and it says in verse 44, and it was about the sixth hour, and the sixth hour would be noon, as the day starts at 6 a.m., and the third hour would be 9 a.m., and the sixth hour is noon, and the ninth hour is 3 p.m., and so on. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Noon till 3 And here, Christ is on the cross, and then notice in verse 45, "...and the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst." So here, there was a physical and literal darkening of the sun. God darkened the earth at that time, it says, and He darkened it for three hours." Notice also that the Lord joins together, the sun was darkened, in verse 45, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. So yes, there was a, a physical darkness that came upon the land, but also God is identifying this darkening of the sun with a spiritual darkness that came upon national Israel. Because up until this time, despite all of their many failings and the many times God had raised up adversaries and enemies to uh, to oppress Israel down through the centuries, they still were the people of God until they brought forth the first fruit, the Lord Jesus Christ, who had to accomplish the mission, the task that the Father had given him of going to the cross to demonstrate the things he had done before the foundation of the world. And and so up until Christ went to the cross, Israel still corporately or outwardly was a representation of the kingdom of heaven on earth. But once Christ accomplished the job that the father had given for him to do and had gone to the cross and had completed the tableau of that demonstration in showing forth the things he had uh, already done in paying for sins before the foundation of the world. Then the veil of the temple was rent in the midst or in twain, as it says in another gospel account, and Israel no longer was the people of God. And this veil of the temple indicated the presence of God as it was inside the Holy of Holies. And that veil concealed uh, the figure of the Spirit of God. It was there that God was to be visited by the high priest once a year with the blood of others for the sins of the nation to typify what Christ had done. But now Jesus himself had come, and there would be no more need to offer sacrifices. And now the Father was departing from Israel. Jehovah was forsaking Israel. They no longer would be the holy people. No longer would God bless the teaching of Israel, the synagogues, or the temple, or the religious Services of Israel ever again. And so he joins together the darkening of the sun. With the the ripping of the veil of the temple. To illustrate this truth. And of course that helps us later. When we read Revelation chapter 8. And we see the third part of the sun was darkened. God did it again. There uh, only spiritually. As he removed the gospel light. From the churches and congregations typified by the language of the third part. And then immediately after the tribulation, the sun is darkened. Uh, once again in Matthew twenty four twenty nine, As God instructs us, this is the removal of the gospel from the entire earth. From the whole world. Now there is no gospel in Israel. There is no gospel in the New Testament church. And I had been working outside of the church, sending forth the latter rain, saving a great multitude, but now there is no gospel in the world. There is no gospel anywhere to be found, anywhere in the earth, in any religion, in any previous corporate body, nor outside of the corporate body, in the regions of the world, the the gospel is finished as far as ongoing salvation. There will be no more becoming saved. The day of judgment has arrived. It is time for the wrath of God.